Alexandra Quink and the Stars Above by Inverarity Read by Sam Gabriel Chapter 6 A Murder of Crows On the September morning that Alexandra stood outside waiting for the bus to Charmbridge Academy, her mother and stepfather were both there to see her off, for the first time since sixth grade. Alexandra felt awkward and annoyed, especially with the other kids down the street waiting at the regular bus stop. Archie's presence in his police uniform kept Billy and his friends from issuing their usual taunts, but did nothing to reduce Alexandra's embarrassment. Brian was standing on the corner, and Bonnie as well. Bonnie, who was starting middle school, stood apart from her brother and seemed to be making a point of not associating with him as she talked to other sixth-grade girls. Brian looked at Alexandra. For a moment, she thought he might wave to her. Then another boy said something to him, and he turned away to talk to him. No, you wouldn't want anyone to think you're friends with the freak, Alexandra thought. The short yellow Charmbridge bus came around the corner, provoking hoots and jeers from most of the kids on the corner. Alexandra thought it was lucky for them that none of the kids inside dared toss curses out the window. Her mother embarrassed her even more by giving her a full hug right in front of everyone. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, her mother said. I don't always have control over that, Mom. Alexandra wondered how her mother could choose here and now to suddenly become emotional. You can stay out of trouble. I'll try. Archie let out a long sigh and put a hand on his stepdaughter's shoulder. You have no idea how much your mother worries about you, he said. Archie. Claudia's mild reproach silenced him. Then he said, Stay out of trouble. I will, Archie, Alexandra said. I mean, actually, stay out of trouble. I will, Archie. He grunted and released her. Her face unusually hot, Alexandra boarded the bus, avoiding as many eyes as possible. Anna and the Pritchards were already at Charmbridge. This trip was just to collect local students from Central Territory. They reached Detroit and picked up David, then zoomed along the Automagica to Cleveland. David only talked about the usual topics, school, their familiars, his falcon Malcolm sat in a veiled cage next to Charlie's open one, and what they had done in their last week of summer. Alexandra was sure David was thinking about their last conversation, but he didn't bring it up. When they reached Cleveland, Dylan boarded the bus and joined them. Dylan spent most of the trip talking about girls. To shut him up, Alexandra opened a pack of exploding snap cards, and they played until Malcolm became so disturbed by the pops and cracks that David suggested wizard chess instead. He and Alexandra played while Dylan kibitzed. Between cities, the Automagica was a black ribbon that folded space beneath the wheels of the vehicles that traveled upon it and made distances impossibly short. But the long, winding mountain road that led to the invisible bridge was an ordinary muggle highway, and when the Charmbridge boss ascended it, everyone began packing up games, food, books, and whatever else they had spread on their tables or scattered in the aisle. A steady, nervous drone came from the sixth graders as they approached their destination, this would be their first time across the Invisible Bridge, and their first sight of Charmbridge Academy. Alexandra and David, having been across the Invisible Bridge many times now, continued their chess game. When they reached the high bluff at the top of the mountain road, David had almost checkmated her. "'Too bad we don't have time to finish,' Alexandra said. David grinned. "'This is a restorable chess set. I bought it at Grundy's. We can finish later.' Dylan high-fived David. 
owned. Alexandra gathered her things. Like you even know how to play chess. I know how, Dylan said. You suck, David said. While the boys bantered, Alexandra got off the bus, carrying Charlie's cage in one hand and Nigel's in the other. The straps of her backpack were cinched around her shoulders, and she had her broom awkwardly tucked under one arm. The bus was parked at a turnoff overlooking a long, winding river valley that stretched into the distance north and south. Before them was a bluff terminating in a steep vertical cliff. It was nearly a mile to the rocky red cliffs on the other side of the valley, and there was nothing between them but the deep chasm, with the tree-lined river half a mile below. It was this valley that kept muggles away from Charmbridge Academy. The Charmbridge students lined up at the edge of the cliff. The brand-new sixth-graders, especially the Muggleborns, eyed the gap nervously. Some of them looked at Alexandra. She was one of only a handful of students carrying a broom, and most of the others were senior chaperones. "'You may not fly across the valley, Miss Quick,' Mrs. Speaks told her. "'You have to walk across the invisible bridge like everyone else.' "'I know,' Alexandra said. Belatedly, she added, "'Ma'am.' Some of the sixth graders gasped as older students began stepping off the cliff and walking across the valley as if on air. "'Now it's perfectly safe,' Mrs. Speaks said to the nervous eleven-year-olds. "'The invisible bridge is charmed against wind, rain, snow, and other weather conditions, and there has never been, almost never, that is, no one has ever accidentally slipped off.' As Alexandra approached the bridge, she saw William Kilman standing far to the rear, sweating a little. He had crossed the bridge several times last year, but it obviously still made him anxious. "'Come on, William,' she said. "'Help me carry my broom.' The seventh grader blinked at her, then dashed forward ahead of his classmates. "'Yes, ma'am.' "'Don't call me that. This isn't J.R.O.C.' She lifted her arm and allowed him to take her broom from her. "'Don't drop it or I'll throw you after it.' He gulped and his chubby fingers clenched the broomstick in a death grip. Behind her, David and Dylan grinned. William was obviously making an effort not to look down as they strode across the invisible bridge. Alexandra was unbothered by the height. She had fallen from the invisible bridge. She wasn't afraid of the bridge, but she was always just a little bit wary while crossing it. Behind her, David, who had fallen with her, was walking with exaggerated ease. "'Check it out. Some sixth-grader is crying like a baby,' Dylan said, looking back at the muggle side of the valley where the bus and the younger students were. William flushed, and Alexandra said, "'Shut up, Dylan.' "'What?' Dylan said. And then David said, "'Dang, that's a lot of crows. Friends of yours, Charlie?' "'Charlie's a raven, not a crow!' Charlie said from the cage in Alexandra's hand. Alexandra looked where David was indicating. There was indeed an immense flock of crows pouring out of the trees at the far side of the valley, not far from where the invisible bridge touched the opposite cliff. That is a lot of crows, David said. The crows continued to stream out of the forest like a great black tide. By now the noise of their calling and flapping wings was drowning out conversations on the bridge, and everyone was staring at them. Ravens and crows were considered unlucky birds in the wizarding world. Whenever crows gathered, superstitious witches and wizards told ridiculous stories about dark arts and warlocks. Alexandra's raven familiar, and her father's, hadn't helped her reputation. "'They're, uh, coming this way,' William said. "'Crows are harmless,' Alexandra said. "'Wicked! Wicked!' Charlie squawked, 
suddenly flapping hard enough to swing the cage back and forth at Alexandra's hand. "'You're not helping, Charlie,' she said. "'They are coming this way,' David said. Alexandra realized with horror that they were. From where she stood, midway across the invisible bridge, it was as if a maelstrom of beaks and claws and black feathers were reaching out to engulf her. The crows, in a vast, dark multitude, came screeching and cawing and shrieking directly at her. The older students ahead of them on the bridge ducked and cowered as the birds swarmed around them, but the crows ignored them. Alexandra looked behind her. It was all younger kids, except for David and Dylan at her back. Then the crows were upon her, their beaks and talons slashing and stabbing. Alexandra stumbled back and dropped into a crouch. Her instinct was to hold up her arms to protect her face, but she was still holding Charlie's and Nigel's cages, so she put her head between her knees instead, and felt beaks stabbing her hands and claws tearing at her neck and hair. The beating of wings was a physical force that almost knocked her over, and then the feathery horde was past her, except for a few stragglers who flapped against her. She rose on shaky feet as the sinister flock turned as one in the air high above the valley, preparing to engulf her again. David and Dylan had also acquired a few scratches, and William's face was pale beneath bright red gouges across his cheek and forehead. Alexandra dropped her familiar's cages in front of the short, round boy and snatched her broom out of his hands. "'Take Nigel and Charlie,' she said to him. He stared at her as the beating of wings once more began to drown out words. "'Do it!' He grabbed the cages, looking stunned and terrified. Someone was yelling, "'Don't panic!' There were teachers and seniors casting shield charms at both ends of the bridge, but where Alexandra stood, they were unprotected. "'Run!' she yelled. "'All of you!' "'We can't leave you,' David said. Dylan had already started running. Alexandra gave David a shove toward William. "'I said run!' Then the birds were upon her again. She held up her arms to protect her face. Beaks and claws slashed her all over and pulled her hair. There were screams and cries from either end of the bridge. But Alexandra was at the center of the attacking crows, and this time they weren't passing her by and circling around. She was beset by them, and they almost took her off her feet.' If they didn't peck her to death, they might suffocate her in their midst. Blind and bleeding, she leaped off the bridge with crows clutching her clothes and hair. Someone screamed her name. She dropped at a frightening speed, wind tearing at her and the crows alike. One after another, they fell away. The trees and the river spun up at her as she plummeted toward the valley floor, trailing black birds in her wake. Her hands still gripped her broom, and without knowing how far she'd fallen, she pulled it against her body, wrapped her legs around it, felt the familiar stabilizing and cushioning charms laid across the hard broomstick, and pulled up. Her downward flight ceased, and with stomach-lurching suddenness, she began to rise. She dared to open her eyes, and saw the river fifty feet below her, and a black cloud blocking the sky above. Shrieking and cawing, the crows dove at her. Alexandra zoomed forward, leading the flock as she began arcing out over the valley. The crows couldn't keep up with her twister, but they didn't stop chasing her. When she looked back, she saw tiny figures on brooms high in the air receding behind her, but she couldn't turn back toward the invisible bridge without going through the murderous crows. "'I'm sorry,' she said, and pointed her wand at the pursuing horde." She cast a fireball that went flaming into their midst. They shrieked and scattered. Alexandra winced as she saw feathery bodies plummeting to the ground in flames. 
Charlie was a raven, not a crow, but these birds weren't so different from her familiar. She didn't like killing them, and she knew they hadn't decided to try to kill her on their own. But she couldn't return to the Invisible Bridge or fly to Charmbridge Academy with them still chasing her. She tried throwing volleys of sharp quills and conjuring buzzing hornets as she continued weaving her way down the valley, keeping just ahead of the birds, but this had little effect on the flock. Twice more, she hurled fireballs right through their midst, killing more crows in the process. After the second salvo, whether it was because of the fire or the distance they had pursued her, the crows dispersed in all directions. The flock exploded apart, separating into individual birds fleeing east and west, north and south, leaving a cloud of black feathers drifting down toward the valley. None of the birds renewed their assault, even when Alexandra warily reversed course and began flying back toward the bridge. She was met halfway there by Miss Fletcher, the Charmbridge groundskeeper, and Miss Shirtliff, the magical theory instructor and JROC commander. Behind the two older witches were a couple of seniors on their brooms, but it looked as if the adults had ordered them to stay near the bridge. "'You shouldn't have flown off like that,' Miss Shirtliff said. "'We could have dispersed those birds if you hadn't flown out of range.' "'Oh, really? Before and after they pecked me to death!' Alexandra wiped a tattered sleeve across her face. It came away streaked with blood. "'You should know better than to take off in a panic,' Miss Fletcher tutted. "'If you're in trouble, stay where you are and let adults—' "'Did you miss the part about being pecked to death?' Well, Miss Fletcher's voice trailed off. She was a large woman in a cloak and sash, much more imposing than Miss Shirtliff, but she looked quite unsettled. Can you fly back to the bridge on the Charmbridge side of the valley? Miss Shirtliff asked. She had descended to hover side by side with Alexandra. Sure. Now that she was no longer in danger, Alexandra's arms felt shaky, and she was becoming aware of the wounds all over her body. She raised a hand to her ear and found her earring was still there, but her fingers came away bloody. Miss Shirtliff's face was scarred. Alexandra had never heard how, and it made her wonder if her own face would be after this. Miss Shirtliff watched her carefully as they flew to where a crowd of students had gathered. Everyone was across the bridge, but the sixth graders were plainly terrified. From their tear-streaked faces, it had probably not been easy getting them across. Some of the older kids looked frightened, too. Alexandra stumbled a bit as she landed and dismounted. Before Miss Shirtliff could grab her, she walked to where William was standing. He had Charlie's and Nigel's cages clutched to his chest so tightly he was bending the bars. Alexandra! Charlie squawked, beating hard against the inside of the cage. Alexandra opened the door to free the raven, who circled around them and then landed on her shoulder. Inside his cage, Nigel was coiled and agitated his tongue darting rapidly in and out. Alexandra gently pried the snake's cage loose from William's fingers. "'Thank you, William,' she said. He nodded frantically. Miss Shirtliff said, "'Quick, come here.' Alexandra stood up. David ran over to her. He grimaced at her torn, bedraggled appearance. "'Sorry.' "'For what?' He looked down at the cage in his arm, still covered with a black cloth. "'I almost let Malcolm loose—' What, you think one falcon could single-handedly take on a murder of crows? She shook her head. Thanks for the thought, though. Quick, Shirtliff said, more sharply. Everyone else was looking at her with apprehension, if they dared look at her at all. Just before turning around to go to Miss Shirtliff, Alexandra saw one pair of eyes that was neither afraid nor looking away. 
Mary Dearborn was staring at her with dark, unblinking eyes. Alexandra met her gaze until Miss Shirtliff called a third time, and then she went to the adults, who insisted on making her lie on a flying carpet to be carried to the academy, despite her insistence that she could walk. Alexandra sat on a bed in the infirmary while Mrs. Murphy, the school nurse, smeared salve over all of her wounds. None of them were deep. The multitude of pecks and scratches had left her covered with blood, but not seriously injured. They hurt a lot, though. Alexandra's clothes were shredded, and she imagined she would have been, too, had she given the crows more time to work on her. When Lilith Grimm entered the infirmary, Alexandra started, for a moment thinking it was her sister Diana. She laughed at the irony of being relieved that it was just the dean. "'You seem to be in good spirits, Miss Quick,' the dean said. "'I guess, ma'am.' Alexandra winced as Mrs. Murphy touched her wand to the raw place where a crow had torn at her earlobe. "'This is the first year you've wound up in the infirmary on your first day. Not the first year someone has tried to kill me on my first day, though.' Alexandra fell silent after that, Miss Grimm's slate-gray eyes forestalling further comments. Mrs. Murphy sealed her bottle of salve. "'Nothing serious, Miss Quick. I imagine it was scarier when it happened.' "'It certainly was serious, Mrs. Murphy. Miss Quick was lucky to escape, and sorcelled crows can be deadly.' "'Well, I'm certainly glad she did escape, just to keep those scratches clean.' Mrs. Murphy plucked a small feather out of Alexandra's hair. She looked between the girl and the dean. "'I have to check on some of the younger students, who were rather upset at witnessing what happened.' Alexandra was silent as the elderly, red-haired healer walked away. "'Do you have any idea who might be trying to kill you, Miss Quick?' Miss Grimm asked. "'This time?' "'Yes, this time.' Miss Grimm didn't smile. "'The Dark Convention, John Mamolito, Mary Dearborn. What is she doing at Charmbridge, anyway?' Oh, and wasn't there someone else hanging around here who tried to kill me and summoned a murder of crows? Miss Grimm's expression didn't change. Mr. Journey is a ghost. He couldn't be responsible. But rest assured, I'll be speaking to him. I doubt Miss Dearborn is capable of magic of that magnitude. I have spoken to her and her parents, and I realize her attending Charmbridge Academy this year will be difficult for both of you. I'll tell you the same thing I told her. Try to avoid one another. As for John Mamolito... I believe he returned to Dineta after he was expelled. Why would you suspect him? I saw him in the Goblin Market. You're certain? Alexandra hesitated. I think so. Well, he is no longer a student here, and we will know if outsiders trespass on school grounds. In that light, please do avoid wandering out of bounds or exploring forbidden areas this year, Miss Quick. I'll be keeping a very close eye on your activities and your comings and goings, for your own safety, of course. Of course. Alexandra muttered. She waited, and when Miss Grimm said nothing else, she assumed she was free to go. She stood up and paused before looking at Miss Grimm in surprise. The dean arched an eyebrow. Yes? You're actually taking me seriously, Alexandra said. Someone cursed you with the murder of crows. Of course I'm taking it seriously. And you're not going to get more letters demanding you expel me because I'm endangering other students? Worry about yourself, Miss Quick. Yes, ma'am. Confused and uneasy, Alexandra left the infirmary. Her dorm room, which she had shared with Anna since sixth grade, was in Delta Delta Capital Hall. All the girls in her year had rooms in this second-floor hallway. 
To get there, she had to walk through the main part of the school. She always attracted stares and whispers, but they usually weren't quite this bad on the first day of her arrival. Knowing how rumors spread at Charmbridge, she was quite aware that by now, everyone knew about the incident at the Invisible Bridge. Even if they didn't, her appearance, cuts covered with bandages and tattered clothing beneath the robe Mrs. Murphy had lent her, would draw attention. "'Welcome back, Miss Quick,' said the wizard who hung in a portrait frame at the entrance to her hall. He was fat and bearded and usually looked at passing students with deep suspicion, even when they were just going to and from class. "'Hi,' she said. She wondered if portraits exchanged gossip, too, and if he had heard about her encounter with the crows. At least she didn't ask what had happened to her. She continued to her room. Anna had already unpacked her things and set up her side of the room when Alexandra arrived. Anna had opened Charlie's cage, but the raven wasn't leaving it while Anna's great-horned owl, Jingbui, was sitting in her own cage with the door open. When Alexandra entered the room, the raven called, Alexandra! Anna jumped to her feet. Alex, I heard... Her eyes widened when she saw the state of her roommate's clothing and the glistening red smears and bandages covering her skin. It looks worse than it is, Alexandra said. Anna looked like she wanted to give Alexandra a hug, but was afraid to. Alexandra put a hand on Anna's shoulder. I'm fine, really. Did you really get attacked by a murder of crows? Yes. Anna's eyes were wide. What are we going to do? Alexandra sat down in her bed. I don't know. Well, we'll have to talk about it then. Alexandra noted the conviction in Anna's voice. We... Me and David and Constance and forbearance. Alexandra sighed. Look, Anna, I appreciate it, but if someone is trying to kill me, then you're going to run around trying to figure out who all by yourself and not telling anyone? I don't think so. Anna folded her arms. I don't want you putting ourselves in danger too bad. We've all talked about this. We want to know what's going on, and we're not letting you do everything alone. Don't I have a say in this? No. Alexandra gave her a narrow look, and Anna's determination faltered. We decided, Anna said softly. Honestly, do you really not want us to help you? I... Alexandra's throat was dry. I don't know. Alexandra! Charlie said. Alexandra reached into the cage and took Charlie out. Jingwei opened one eye and hooted. Alexandra watched the owl as she held Charlie in her arms. I don't want anyone else getting hurt. Neither do we. Anna inspected Alexandra's pants legs, now torn and ragged. I don't know any good mending charms, but I'll bet the Pritchards do. Mending my clothes isn't exactly what I need help with. Could have fooled me. Alexandra let go of Charlie, who fluttered back into the protection of the cage by her bed. All right, so just what else did you decide? We're going to talk about it after dinner tonight. Alexandra regarded her with a serious expression. You know, maybe you should teach us how to cast that Muffliato spell. A knock came on the door to the bathroom that Alexandra and Anna shared with their adjoining roommates, Sonia Rackham and Carol Queen. Before they could say anything, Sonia, a pretty red-haired girl whose nosiness had apparently not been curbed, even after being cursed by Darla the previous year, opened the door and entered their room. Hi, Sonia said, with forced cheerfulness. Her eyes widened when she saw Alexandra, who by now had changed clothes, but still bore bandages up and down her arms and face. Holy Moses! You did get attacked by a flock of seagulls! Seagulls? 
Alexandra forgot to be annoyed at Sonia's intrusion and burst out laughing. They were crows, Anna said. Oh. Sonia watched Alexandra as if doubting her sanity until Alexandra stopped laughing. So, uh, you're all right? Who cursed you? I don't know, Alexandra said. You should really stop barging in here. You might get cursed again. Darla's... Sonia bit her tongue. Alexandra wiggled her wand. I meant by me. Sonia's eyes went wide again. Well, fine, be like that. She slammed the door shut. Threatening to curse people isn't going to help your reputation, Annie, Anna said. Like my reputation can get any worse. A hush fell over the cafeteria when Alexandra and Anna entered. Usually the first evening's meal, the Friday before school started, was the noisiest of the year, as students who hadn't seen each other all summer sat together, so the sudden quiet was all the more pronounced. The cafeteria was large enough to hold the entire student body, with long tables stretching the length of the room. The ceiling glowed with magical light, and beneath it students lined up at buffet counters where clockwork golems dished food onto their plates. Now the clockworks continued serving food, oblivious to the stillness in the air and the distraction of the students holding trays in front of them, but from one end of the cafeteria to the other, across the benches full of robed, feathered, cloaked, veiled, and gowned students, silence reigned. To Alexandra's relief, it didn't take long for voices to pick up again. She walked past the eighth grader's table, waiting for Larry Albo to say something like he usually did. When she glanced at him, his eyes flickered in her direction, but there was no break in his conversation with his friends. At the same table, the rashes watched her, faces set in stone. Alexandra and Anna stood in line for their meals, then carried their trays to where Constance and Forbearance were sitting. Other ninth graders were at the table as well, but no one was sitting next to the Ozarkers. "'Alex, dear, we was fixing to hunt you up if you didn't come to table,' Constance said. "'We ain't heard what happened. Are you all right?' Forbearance eyed Alexandra's injuries with concern. "'Is Miss Grimm going to do something to protect you? There's awful mischief afoot,' Constance said. "'Yeah,' Alexandra said. "'I understand you all have been talking about me and deciding what to do with me.' Constance's voice faltered. Ain't like that, Alexandra. No? Alexandra turns to Anna, who was inspecting her baked blue ham very, very carefully. I reckon this ain't the proper place to converse, Forbearance whispered. Especially since David's over there with them other boys, Constance muttered. David, seated at the end of the table with the other ninth-grade boys, noticed their attention was on him and waved two fingers. Right, Alexandra said dryly. We need everyone on the Alexandra committee together. Anna coughed. Constance and Forbearance lowered their gazes. They didn't talk much for the rest of the meal until Anna said, So where can we go? Alexandra tapped her fork against the table in irritation. The other three girls waited expectantly. Not the rec room, she said at last. The lounges available for each grade level were usually full of students studying, playing games, or listening to the Wizard Wireless. Alexandra supposed they could sit on a couch and have a private conversation with the Muffliato spell, but it might attract notice. It's still warm out, Anna said, and we have about an hour before curfew. We could take a walk outside. The Pritchards looked nervous. We can stay close to the academy, Alexandra said, in case any more crows show up. She hadn't intended sarcasm, but she felt guilty when the Pritchards blushed. They nodded, however, and the four of them walked out of the cafeteria together, 
lingering to wait for David to join them. It was Benjamin and Mordecai, however, who followed practically on their heels. The rashes looked furious and determined, and Constance and forbearance stepped back in alarm as the boys walked up to them. Benjamin said, "'We has tried to leave thee like you and Zass, but we can't abide you consorting with the sorceress no longer. How much more proof you need that she draws misery and woe and ill works?' Before Alexandra could utter a retort, Mordecai addressed her directly. "'Girl, can't you see your place in your friends in a hazard? If you really care for constance and forbearance, you ought to keep away from them.' "'Mordecai rash!' forbearance exclaimed. "'How dare you!' "'It's true!' Benjamin's eyes burned a baleful blue. "'Every year you're the reason for some calamity, hain't you, Miss Quick? Every year someone dies!' Constance and forbearance gasped, but Benjamin kept going. Could be it ain't really your fault. No one picks their daddy, but that's the way it sits. You're faded and cursed like troublesome herself. Even furriners can see it. What are you going to do when one of your friends is struck? Alexandra was so stunned and angry, she would have whipped out her wand and challenged Benjamin to a duel on the spot, if not for all the students around them. In fact, those leaving the cafeteria were now beginning to congest around the entrance, sensing a fight brewing. But doubt churned in her stomach, as did the memory of Bonnie Seabury. Not really Bonnie, but a boggart reflecting her fears back at her, bloated and dead, killed because she'd gotten too close to Alexandra. "'So is she supposed to have no friends?' Anna demanded. "'If you wants to consort with her and take your chances, ain't no concern of ours,' Mordecai said. "'Ain't your concern neither if we consort with her!' Forbearance spoke with more anger than Alexandra had ever heard from her. Mordecai was taken aback, and even Benjamin paused a moment before saying quietly, "'Yes, it is.' "'What's going on here?' David pushed through the crowd, forming a circle around them, and looked angrily at Benjamin. "'Why don't you stop harassing my girls?' "'Your girls?' everyone exclaimed. David faltered. "'It's just an expression. It doesn't mean my girls. What business you got here?' Benjamin said, and before his sneering lips could form the next syllable, another voice broke in. "'What's going on here?' This time it was Mr. Adams, a magical theory teacher and one of the chaperones in the cafeteria that evening. Drawn to the gathering of students exchanging angry words out in the hallway, he towered over them in his black felt hat and plain black jacket and breeches, his expression severe and tight-lipped. "'Trouble, Miss Quick?' "'No, sir,' Alexandra said. She is trouble, Benjamin muttered, loudly enough for everyone to hear. Mr. Adams said, Believe it or not, we teachers do not actually enjoy detention duty, especially not during the first week of classes, so I advise all of you to disperse immediately. Alexandra walked away, and her friends followed, leaving the rashes glowering behind them. The onlookers trickled away in all directions. Alexandra abruptly changed course. After a moment, David asked, "'Where are we going?' Alexandra pointed. Instead of going outside onto the lawn, she chose an exit into the school's inner courtyard. Charmbridge Academy was arranged as a seven-sided building with an open heptagonal space in its center. There were trees and benches and tables there, but it was an uninteresting spot that students mostly crossed through on their way to classes in different wings of the academy. When the five ninth-graders walked out into the courtyard, there was one couple sitting under a tree on the far side. They didn't look as if they wanted to be disturbed, nor did they show much interest in the younger students. Alexandra walked to the table furthest from the couple and turned to face her friends, 
folding her arms across her chest. All right, let's get something straight, she said. Anna told me what you decided, and I'm grateful, really. It, it means a lot to me that you want to help. But there's nothing you can do that won't endanger you. Not that I care what the rashes think, but they're not wrong. You're kidding, David said. Speaking in a quieter voice, Alexandra said, Every time I involve other people, they're the ones who get hurt. So please, it's enough for you to be my friends. That's all I want. No one said anything for a minute. Then Constance cleared her throat. <clears throat> Would you please cast that charm of yours, Alex? Muffalato? Alexandra sighed and took out her wand. Muffalato. The Pritchard spoke first. We can talk on what you said, Forbearance said. It's your right to keep secrets, Constance said. But Williams will stand by you regardless, and listen to whatever you've been feared to tell us. We believe you when you say it's dangerous, Anna said. We understand the risks. Alexandra shook her head. No, you don't. Well, then tell us, David said. They were all so serious, so earnest. They didn't understand the danger, but they knew it was dangerous, and that didn't deter them. Alexandra slowly scanned the courtyard while emotion welled up inside her. What I tell you, you can't tell anyone else, she said. If you do, the Bureau of Obliviation will obliviate you and everyone you tell, and then they'll probably imprison me on Erie Isle for being a dark sorceress. She looked up as if expecting to find crows watching from the edge of the roof. We ain't gonna tell, David said. You know that. Alexandra took her gaze off the roof. Her friends waited with hushed breath and wide eyes, but even the threat of obliviation hadn't scared them. She felt her throat constrict, even as the urge to speak overwhelmed her. This is about why my father is the enemy of the Confederation, she said. It's why I'm an enemy of the Confederation. Anna's face drained of color, and Constance and Forbearance put their hands to their chests. You still think you want to hear this? Alexandra asked. They looked at each other. Slowly, Anna and David nodded. And Constance said, Williams will swear ourselves to secrecy with an unbreakable vow, and that's what you want, Alexandra. No! Alexandra shook her head violently. I told you I trust you. Then tell us, Anna said. Alexandra paced about for a moment, and no one said anything. When she stopped pacing, she began talking. End of chapter 6 For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit samgabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benikoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.